You want to find with me Proverbs chapter 24. Proverbs chapter 24. Proverbs 24. As you're turning there, allow me to uh, invite you back this evening at 5. Um, this evening I plan on preaching on Psalm 25. And uh, I'm going to tell you what that psalm has to do with organizing your closet. I'm not going to tell you you have to organize yours. I'm just going to tell you what the psalm has to do with that. So I invite you back this evening at 5. hope to see you then. Proverbs 24 and verse 3 is where I want to start this morning. 24 and verse 3. By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Healthy and godly homes do not just magically happen. It'd be nice if they did, but they don't. Even when two Christians, two very godly people marry each other, it is still the case that both of them married sinners, in a sense. It'd be nice if we just got married and everything magically fell into place, never a disagreement, never an argument, never the silent treatment, always just peace and love. But for sinners like us, selfless love and harmony are usually not the natural state of things. And so if our homes are to be pleasant and life-giving places, it will always be because we have done the hard work to make them so. Verses 3 and 4 say that, that a house founded on wisdom, understanding, and knowledge will be filled with all pleasant and precious riches. Now, just as the word house here is not used to stand for the physical structure, but rather the spiritual environment of the home, just as house is used in that sense, I believe the, pre- the precious and pleasant riches the house is filled with is the same sort of thing. It doesn't stand for physical riches, but the pleasant and enriching environment that a healthy home life creates. My mission this morning is, is to help us, help us investigate that wisdom, understanding, and knowledge contained in Proverbs about the home. We do this so that we can found our homes and found our marriages on God's wisdom and so that our homes can be filled with those precious and pleasant riches. And I want to begin by, by discussing the stakes of this subject. This is Proverbs 15 and verse 17. Proverbs 15 and verse 17. I want to begin by setting the stakes for our discussion. Your life will literally be either blessed or ruined based on the environment of your home. And no amount of money or luxury can compensate for a toxic home life. This is Proverbs 15 and verse 17. Proverbs 15 and verse 17. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. This is Proverbs 17 and verse 1, which says something similar. Proverbs 17 and verse 1. 17, 1. Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. So we have here one home which can afford a dinner of vegetables. Even more graphic in 17 is where dry morsels are for dinner. This refers to the stale leftover corner of bread with nothing to even dip it in. You just got stale bread for dinner. No one wants that. No one wants to be that poor. But that small, underserved house is also full of love and peace. That's one house we're to imagine. The other home is full of feasting, constant feasting. The, the facts that the ox is fattened in the 1517 proverb, the, facts that, the fact that the ox is fattened intensifies the luxury of the feast. 
It's the sort of animal that would only be killed and eaten on the most special of occasions. You remember in Luke 15 when the prodigal son comes home, what sort of animal do they kill and eat? The fattened calf, an illustration of just how joyous the occasion is. But that mansion hosting the daily feasts also contains people who hate each other. And across the feasting table, there was only strife. Husband against wife, wife against husband, children against parents, brother against sister. Now, the author knows we'd all prefer the ribeye over the rabbit food. The author knows that. But Solomon is trying to get us to see there is something far more precious about a home than how big it is and how well stocked it is. It is easy, I think, to even imagine Solomon himself. Unclear when exactly on his own timeline these words were written. But it's easy for me to imagine Solomon, who himself lived in a house with feasting and a house which turned in to be quite filled with strife and ungodliness. It's easy for me to imagine Solomon saying something like, you know, I'd give all this away if it could just mean a little peace and a little quiet, a little love in my home. Your life will either be blessed or ruined based on the environment of your home, and no amount of money or luxury can make a toxic home life worth it. You know, if my home, if my home life is healthy and loving, I don't know if you feel this way, I really feel like I can deal with almost anything else in the rest of the day. I can go out in strength no matter what. I could have a miserable day at work, and my car could break down, and I could get a big unexpected medical bill or something. But if I came home to a loving and sympathetic home, I could handle about any of that. But if home is not good, if my relationship with my wife is on pins and needles, you know, an angry boss may be the most restful part of my day. Not that I have one of those anymore. But if coming home from work is a dread, there's no amount of zeros you could put on the end of my paycheck to compensate for that. These are the stakes. Your home can be the greatest blessing in your life, or it can be the worst curse in it. And it all depends on what we're doing right now to build them. So with that, let's think about the head of the home. This is Proverbs 5. We'll be there in a second. Proverbs 5. God has called husbands to be the head of their households and really to set the tone at home. Husbands are not the only ones responsible for the state of our homes, but as with any leader, husbands are more responsible for that than any other single person. That's just the nature of leadership. A leader is more responsible than any other person, any other single person. Other people have responsibilities, but he has the most. Think of it this way. I heard someone say once, you know, when Jesus comes back, and when Jesus wants to know what it, what it is that happened in your home, in the state of things, who's the first person he's going to ask? Well, he's going li- to ask the person he left in charge. And biblical leadership is never just about the rights and privileges it affords the leader. Biblical leadership is always about the responsibilities entailed in that job. So we want to think about what it is to be the head of a home. This is Proverbs 5 and verse 15. Proverbs 5 and verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman? And embrace the bosom of an adulteress. If you read all of Proverbs 5, it's all about these warnings about the seductress, about the ways of living 
the enticements of the world, which seem so appealing at the time, especially to a young man, like he's talking to. But there's always a morning after, which is always horrible and makes none of it worth it. When we finally get to verse 15, we're given the positive alternative to the seductress. I want you to notice that the husband here, the prospective husband is not told, here's what you do, here's the solution to sexual immorality, go be a monk on a mountain who pledges himself to celibacy. What's the positive alternative for husbands to sexual immorality? What's the positive alternative to sexual immorality? The positive alternative is moral sexuality. That's the positive alternative. What he is urging his son is, be captivated by your own wife. And and they begin to read even a little bit like the Song of Solomon, where a man is 100% taken with his own wife. And so the negative teaching for men is, of course, steer away from lusts and sexual immorality. That's not news to us. But the positive teaching is perhaps something not emphasized nearly as much, which is this. Keep courting your wife. Not only will that keep you from pursuing other women because you're too busy pursuing her, it'll make your wife happy to be pursued by you. The point is, God did not design marriage to be a ball and chain. He designed it to be a blessing in every way and for everyone in the household. After God made man, he said it's not good for man to be alone. And then he made woman, and then he made marriage to remedy that aloneness and to bless man. And what Proverbs 5 says is, look at your blessing, husband. God made this woman, and he made marriage. And he even made this woman who for some reason wants anything to do with you. So get busy loving and cherishing her, just like you said you were going to when you married her. There's an idea. Do what you said in your marriage vows. This is Proverbs 17 and verse 6. Proverbs 17 and verse 6. Proverbs 17 and verse 6. Grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of children is their fathers. This proverb really pictures an ideal relationship between three generations. Uh, Line 1 pictures the pride of the grandfather that a grandfather takes in his grandkids. So the pride flows from elder to youth. Line two pictures the glory flowing in the other direction, from youth to elder. The children glorifying in their fathers, glorying in their fathers. And so the grandfather looks at his grandkids with pride while the grandkids look up to their fathers in admiration. Here is a home with three generations of blessing. Now, we all know the command for children to honor father and mother, but this proverb also tells fathers to give their children a reason to honor them, for fathers to be honorable. Now, ideally, children glory in their fathers because their father is a man of character and integrity who has brought them up well. Sometimes, children don't glory in their fathers because the children are foolish, and there's Proverbs about that. But sometimes, they don't glory in their fathers because their fathers have given them no reason to glory in them. I'll read you what one author has said about this proverb. He said, What greater earthly incentive could there be to live honorably as a man than to have your children be proud of you and to long to model your character. And then he says this prayer, the author does, Lord, make me a man who is worthy of the admiration and honor of my children. Make me a man, he says, that lives up to the the picture of this proverb. This is Proverbs 20 and verse 6. Proverbs 20 and verse 6. Proverbs 20 and verse 6. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, 
but a faithful man who can find. Verse 7, the righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. Verse 6 is about the rarity of a truly faithful and steadfast man compared to the number of men who say they're faithful and steadfast. The number of men who say they're faithful and steadfast is quite large. The number of men who actually are faithful and steadfast is actually quite small. Verse 7 says, if you manage to actually find a man like that, he will be a blessing, not just to you, not just to your wife, and not just to your kids, but for generations. He will bless your family. His children and his grandchildren will see a real life of integrity and faithfulness and love, a model of those. And there are so many proverbs about how future generations can be blessed by one man's wisdom and one man's faith. Just one example. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. Psalm 14, 26. And so the question for for us, husbands, fathers, what kind of inheritance am I leaving my kids? And I don't mean anything about the amount of money you're going to leave them. What kind of inheritance am I leaving my kids? What are they learning from me? about what is actually important and valuable. What, when they look at my life, do they see is actually valuable and important about living in this world? If my kids will be exactly as faithful as I am, no more and no less, if they, if they are exactly as faithful as I am, how faithful should I expect them to be? That's the question. Now, I was thinking about it. There, there's really a sense in which we could take almost any proverb in this book and apply it to men slash husbands slash fathers. There's really a sense in which we could do that. Because the whole book is an address from a father to a son about what it means to grow up into a man. But men, this is what we need to remember. We set the tone in our homes. When Jesus comes back and wants to know what happened with your family, the person he's going to ask first is the person he left in charge. And so what will you have to report about your relationship with your wife? What will you have to report about how you cherished her, about how you valued this gift from God? What will you have to report about the example and legacy you left your kids? What glory, what inheritance will you have left them? What paths of righteousness will you have led them in? Which then brings us to what I'm going to call the heart, the heart of the home. I believe the ultimate responsibility for the state of the home rests with the leader of it, as with the leader of any, of any institution. But it would also be quite hard to overstate the effect of a wife and mother, uh, the effect she has on a home too. She has the power to stabilize it or to destroy it, to either nourish it or to poison it. This is, this is Proverbs 11, verse 22. Proverbs 11, verse 22. Proverbs 11, and verse 22. 11, 22. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. Women often wore gold rings in their noses in those days. And we we see that and we say, well, that's that's kind of strange and unattractive. Who would do that? Let's be honest, though. Don't we just put the holes in a different part of our face to hang the jewelry on? Right? They might look at us and think we're weird about that. What what are we doing, though, when we put the gold ring in the pig's snout? What are we doing when we do that? Well, we're we're putting something of, of, of beauty and value in the consummate, unclean animal, the pig, the most disgusting animal to any God-fearing Jew. You know, we have a saying sort of like this. You can put lipstick on a pig, uh, but it's still a pig. So, so how is that like a beautiful woman who lacks discretion? Well, 
Her beauty is wasted by her unclean character. Discretion here means something like moral judgment or good sense. A woman who lacks good sense, a foolish woman, an immoral woman, beauty is wasted on her. Now, our popular culture tells, tells women that the most important thing, maybe the only important thing, is their attractiveness. But this proverb says, think of beauty like you think of that gold ring. If a pig has it on, it's still a pig. And if a foolish and immoral woman has beauty, she is still a foolish and immoral woman. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Proverbs 31 and verse 30. Now, attending to your appearance is not wrong, but these Proverbs say it's not what makes you valuable. It's got nothing to do with your worth as a person. And maybe single men need need this reminder just as much as women do, which is going after a beautiful but foolish woman is like being captivated by an unclean pig because it has a gold ring in its snout. It's a silly thing to be captivated by by itself. This is Proverbs 12 and verse 4. Proverbs 12 and verse 4. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. It describes the effect of a wife, be she excellent or shameful, the effect she will have on her husband. The consummate wife is a crown to her husband, a crown to her household. One man put it this way, such a wife enables her husband to gain the applause and respect of their community, perhaps for his many successes, not the least of which is having the good sense to marry such a wonderful woman. But the alternative is she brings shame. Is she who brings shame is like rottenness to his bones. She's not just deficient in her own character. It's not just unfortunate she isn't what she should be. It, the point is she also can act like a cancer to the rest of the family. She can make or break the rest of her household, depending on her own character. This is Proverbs 18 and verse 22. Proverbs 18 and verse 22. Proverbs 18 and verse 22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Now, uh, it's funny, commentators kind of fall over themselves to stress that the word thing is not present in Hebrew. Uh, and so, you know, they're, they're, they're uh, eager to remind us, and remind men, you know, your wife is not a thing. But actually, when you translate it literally, it, it gets a little more interesting to me at least. Most literally, here's how you would translate the first line of, of 1822. He who finds a wife finds good. And there's nothing else after that. He who finds a wife finds not a good thing, but finds good. So good is not an adjective attached to a noun. It's not describing something else. It, good is just the noun. He who finds a wife finds good. A man who finds a wife has found the essence of goodness. He has found goodness, the thing, goodness. He has found providential favor from God, the second half of verse 22. That's the value of a good wife. Now, this is Proverbs 19 and verse 13. What I'm going to do now is read a series of about four Proverbs. They all talk about the same thing. And I just read them to, to just show you how, how often the Proverbs talks about this. This is 19.13. A foolish son is ruin to his father, and a wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. This is 21.9. 21.9. It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. This is verse 19, Proverbs 21, 19. It is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome wife and a fretful woman. Finally, Proverbs 25 and verse 24. 
Proverbs 25 and verse 24. It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. I think you get the picture. Here, here is a quarrelsome and contentious wife. Her, her husband is, is the sounding board for her own discontent. There is always something wrong. And, and these Proverbs, I think, really echo a dynamic that, that anyone who's ever done a lick of marriage counseling can, can describe for you. The sort of vicious cycle. And, and it can begin with either spouse, but it's a vicious cycle where a wife's continual nagging exasperates her husband, and so her husband either, either lashes out or tunes her out, which, which only begets more nagging, which, which only begets more lashing or, or tuning out, eventually causing a total emotional disconnect for the marriage, which of course might just cause more nagging. Proverbs describes it as a continual dripping of rain, water torture. Better living on the roof or in the desert than, than inside with such a wife. Proverbs constantly affirms marriage is a good thing. But as with literally all good things of God's creation, it can go bad. Is water a good thing? Yeah. And you can also drown in this stuff too. Water can go bad and so can marriage. I think there are plenty of lessons to spread around here. First of all, to wives. The Bible has a good, good handle on the tendency of gender. There's a reason Scripture usually targets men when it talks about lust. Uh, the Bible's got a good handle on how men operate. And there's also a reason these verses describe a, a wife nagging her husband and not the other way around. It's got a good handle on that. Be aware of this tendency. Develop and exercise the patience and wisdom of Abigail, who knew how to handle even the densest of men. There is never a reason to neglect your own wifely vocation, even if your husband is not living up to his. Now, husbands, I'll say what your wife is thinking right now. Why do I need to nag you so much? Which is a good question. And we need to ask ourselves when we read these Proverbs, are, these, are there responsibilities I'm neglecting? Is there some passivity I need to get over? Is it time for me to start leading and not have to be goaded by my wife into action anytime something needs to be done? Now, maybe your wife isn't communicating all of that in the best way, just get past that for a minute, husbands. Get past that for a minute. And have an adult conversation. And get to the core issues of her heart she's concerned about. And then start taking all the initiative and responsibility God wants you to take. Let, let me turn to one more proverb here before we wrap up. This is 19. 19 and verse 14. Proverbs 19 and verse 14. So we read verse 13, which kicked off our, our previous point about quarreling. This is verse 14, the following verse after that. Proverbs 19 and verse 14. House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Here is the positive alternative to the quarrelsome woman of verse 13. Prudent here describes a woman of understanding, a woman of wisdom, a woman of insight, a woman of good sense, a woman who knows the way the world works, a woman who knows the way people think and what makes people think, a woman who knows how to make her way in the world. Proverbs doesn't praise a, a naive airhead of a woman who just does as she's told. A prudent wife understands the world, understands people. She foresees danger. She knows how to seize an opportunity. And this is where if we had more time, we could just spend a lot of time in Proverbs 31, which describes the prudent wife in very great detail. One of my one of my uh, one of my favorite books is is the Odyssey. It's it's a book about the journey home of, of Odysseus, 
Um, he, he had been on a, a great hero in the Trojan War and had been gone from his home, lost at sea for 20 years. Uh, but, but, but Odysseus was a man who had the respect of every king and general who knew him. Even, even the enemies had great respect for him as a warrior and his courage. He was a man of wealth, a man of acclaim and respect. He was also a man who had available to him practically any pleasure a man could, could imagine. He had at one point been moored on an island with a bunch of nymphs, nymphs um, having available to him what any lustful man could ever imagine. He'd also could, had to his name um, record of outwitting even the gods, the, uh, the Greek gods, and uh, he had to his name those accomplishments. He was a man who had experienced everything, who had won every acclaim, who had had every experience and every, and, and every, every bit of wealth he could imagine. But the driving force of the Odyssey, the reason he goes through all that he goes through in that book is that he wants to get home to his wife and son. This is what he says near the beginning of that, which motivates everything he does. He says this, The greatest thing in the world is a house held in serenity where both man and wife agree. Here's a man who's seen it all, who's had it all, who's experienced it all, and he says the greatest thing in the world is a house held in serenity where both man and wife agree. Proverbs wants us to be husbands and wives who pursue that. There's a whole other lesson to be had here on parents and children, which is just too much to include here. But our our homes can be the greatest blessings in our lives. Our homes can make literally everything else that happens in the world manageable and even joyful if we have that squared away. But if we don't get that right, if we don't have that house held in serenity where both man and wife agree, if we don't get that right, we can have all the wealth and all the acclaim, and all the degrees, and all the titles, and be the most miserable people on the face of the earth. God is trying to bless us through marriage and family. And so it only makes sense that we would listen to the God who created marriage and family. We would listen when he tells us how our marriages and how our families can be blessed. And so the Proverbs we began with, Proverbs 24 and verse 3, By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Please listen to God as he tries to give you pleasant and precious riches to fill your house with those. Maybe there's someone here this morning that that as you listen to the kind of person God is calling you to be, the kind of husband, the kind of wife God has called you to be, realize how spectacularly you failed to live up to what God has called you to be. The good news is, if you can still hear my voice, there's still time, time to repent Time to resolve to start serving God in every area of your life. If you need to repent, if you need to put on Christ in the first place, come forward now as we stand and sing. Hear it ringing.